welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that provides you with conversations with experts and like-minded people who would like to see education turn into a flourishing environment for the well-being of all. So, are you ready? Let's start. Hope you enjoy this session. Welcome to another powerful, imperfectly perfect conversation for the Flourishing Education podcast. Today, I'm really excited to be sharing this conversation with Dr. Gerilda Scarf. We've already spoken uh, before um, for, for the listeners, so you're in for a treat. Um, so Gilda is a mental toughness expert. She's a doctor. She's a mental toughness expert, um, a specialist in agile leadership, positive education, and my favorite word, flourishing a very warm welcome to the podcast thank you Fabian it's so excited I'm so excited because we before the podcast we had always such lovely conversation and um, insightful I think that's so important in our day yes wonderful so yeah thank you very much for your time I really appreciate that um let's start with mental toughness experts I found that really interesting that you've chosen the word mental toughness as opposed to possibly mental health or, you know, well-being, because those are words that we we use a lot to talk in education, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. So so do you want to talk us through those linguistic choices? Yes. Um, Something... um, I started like everyone who, who is a parent, first of all, and an educator, you want to give your child some skill sets where they can navigate life challenges. And of course, like everyone else, I study positive psychology, I looked at existential psychology, I look at everything under the sun in terms of research and see how can I upskill myself first. And well-being sounded great and I love it. I love the PERMA model, I love Marty Seligman's work. But I always felt that something wasn't quite sitting very well with me in terms of that. I felt that the whole well-being approach, it's fantastic as a foundation, but then what? And I was thinking, but okay, I get these skills, but what now? And um, I was born and brought up in a communist um, (laughs) country. And um, I think inadvertently, I kind of this developed this kind of resilience. And then I started looking into resilience as a skill set. And I liked it. I found it dynamic. I found it, um, you know, quite powerful. But again, something else wasn't kind of adding up for me. And I um, looked at sports psychology. So um, just to clear, I'm not a sports person whatsoever. But I discovered the work of the All Blacks coach. And I was like, oh, oh, this is this is the ingredient which I felt that he was missing because we can build our kids. We can give them self-efficacy. We can give them um, emotional regulation, which is the holy grail. Um, we can give them a lot of set of um, uh, skill set. But I felt mental toughness resonated so much because it kind of gave me the initially the, the, the surface impression that it's about pushing through the pain and then I think is that what I'm looking for and I realized that no that's not what it is and I feel like sometimes I have to defend the word mental toughness because everybody kind of assumed that yes you're pushing through the pain exactly like my assumption the reality is such a complex multifaceted component and this is what I loved about it because empowering young people to have autonomy to discover their personal brand identity to look at their strengths and weaknesses to understand who they are and um, really learn to navigate life challenges but also see obstacles and failures as a opportunity to grow so in a nutshell that's and I'm incredibly passionate because looking at the research looking at the impact which has had on the students it's um yeah it's rewarding to say the least Mm, 
I can imagine. And I really, for me, I think I like it because what it does, and I'll go to my model when I, when I wrote the first book, when I wrote The Flourishing Student, and I looked at what, to me, the difference between a flourishing student and a languishing student. Um, what, what I could see that was different is flourishing students seem to, you know, it doesn't mean that they don't experience challenges, mm. it doesn't mean that life doesn't, you know, deal them, you know, give them a, a, a rough deal sometimes. Um, but they, they take on, they take on what's happening. And one of the things that I've noticed sometimes with, with, with some young people is this sort of like, oh, no you know like almost like hands off uh, I'm I'm not in charge and you know please do it for me um and I, I, I love that, that. toughness like the yeah. mental toughness is is a well yeah, I'll use the analogy that I also use in the book so for me yeah, an institution is like a garden so we all you were talking about um who we are as individuals so we all come into this garden as different plants and different mm -hmm. uh different flowers and we show up and we we you know we need different environments and different support to 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 be able to thrive but that but actually the plant is also responsible for taking on the nutrients that the the, the gardening team is giving mm -hmm. um, it to to flourish or, or thrive or whatever word you want to use and and when when the plant if the plant goes no sorry I'm oh, I can't I can't absorb the nutrients then there's that sort of helplessness in in some ways and do you know what I absolutely love that you know I had this picture in my mind when you were talking and I was literally creating my garden and this is what I love about your work because it, it you can almost visualize you can relate you can understand. Um, but do you know what the first thing came into my mind when you were talking about the garden? I think, oh, I'm coming, I'm, I'm showing up as a flower. Or I'm showing, what am I showing up as? And I was just thinking, I've got a question for you. Why do you think the weeds are growing stronger and stronger um, before uh, or more than, say, a chrysanthemum or a, I don't know, a flower? Why is that? What do you think that is? because they ask themselves less questions. They just like settle where they are and they just, their aim is like, right, I'm gonna grow and flourish and just sort of- yes. It's self-acceptance. Actually, is, and this is why I think it's so important to understand that we don't really, we talk about self-awareness so much and I'm getting a little bit sick of it, really a little bit, because self-awareness requ requires an introspection. But sometimes the environment we live in shapes us. And the construct of reality, it's not really right, okay? So I might be self-aware within the construct of my reality, but does it make it right, you see? And I think this is it. Yes, be self-aware, but before you're self-aware, look at your strengths, look at what makes you, look at what defines you. You know, we talk about flourishing, Flourishing, again, is a very multi-dimensional uh, multi construct, um, but also it's subjective. What means to you doesn't mean to me necessarily, or we might have a bit of an overlap, but it's very, very subjective because the way how we see the world. My lenses might be very optimistic in, in comparison to yours or other people. So this is where I'm not saying we need to level the playing field. We need to level the knowledge. You know, is that ubiquity of information, the scarcity of knowledge? We talk about a lot, you know, all the information is our fingertip. But the knowledge, is it deep enough to understand? Mm. To understand us, really, as people, mm. Mm. you know, and it's important. Yes, it's important. And, and you know, so, so going to, to back to sort of education and the schooling system, there is that notion of knowledge, right? The current education system yes. is is, to, is focusing a lot on knowledge. In fact, and to, to the extent I feel that it's almost too much. It's like a you know, it, it's all about like the exams and you know, like the the young people being prepared to pass an exam and attainment. Um, 
And I felt looking at my 13 and a half year old, almost 14 year olds, that personally, school is not empowering him to find out who he is as an individual. Um, is that what you see in your oh, work? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, almost my my blood is boiling inside me because of that, because we all desperately search for something. That kind of meaning in education, that um, giving this, the children the right skill set, but everybody talks about it, but in practice, dif different. And the reason why is because especially in the UK, and it's quite disappointing, really quite disappointing, because I think this has been a lot of talk about uh, well-being in education, but still people focus very much on the mental health as a reaction to a problem. We don't use preventative measure. We talk about it. The government puts money out there for mental health problems, dealing with mental health, you know, creating a mental health first aid course. How can you go there when people don't understand the basic of emotions? I work in schools, I go to schools and I ask students, I personally, this is not third hand, let's give me a name of an emotion. And if they go to four or five, it's a miracle. They don't, they're not, they don't have the hierarchy of thinking to define an anger against frustration. If you can't label something, if you, can if you can't describe something, how can you deal with it? You see, and I think schools need to prioritize and they need to weave well-being uh, into the curriculum. It can't be an add-on. It can't, you know, I've seen schools, I work with schools where they say, oh, I've got five programs in my school. I've got this program and I've got this program, deal with this. And they don't talk to each other or they overlap each other. They don't know, but they seem to do the right thing. And look, I don't blame the educators by any means. There's got to be a more clear guideline about what actually means well-being in education. Where do you, one size doesn't fit all, we end up even with well-being in the same old situation where we assume that whatever we teach our young people, they're all gonna have the same, because they all have the same information, they're gonna act the same way. They mm. don't. Mm. We need to be able to see through, we need to filter, we need to know what is working. And the schools I work with, I always do a baseline evaluation to first find out what the gaps are. You know, you can't assume that our well-being is just this umbrella we talk about. It's more than that. Yeah. So much more than that. Yeah. And so two things came up for me that I'd like us to, to look at in turn. The first one was you were talking about preventative measures. So one of my most, my biggest frustration in uh, higher education and partly the reason why I've decided to take this career break is that I really feel that we are very reactive as opposed to being preventative and and then the second one is what you were saying is sort of you know to me talks to there is a almost like a deficiency model in some way in a sense that it feels like, and it's the same with, with physical health, I guess, you know, like with mental health. For me, mental health being French, and this is what I said in my first book, the reason I explored all of it is because I felt that in the UK, mental health is always associated with negative modifiers. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about mental health, what really we're referring to is mental ill health. Yeah. We don't say that. Um, and, and if we compare, you know, in, in, in French, physical health and mental health are, are, are two things you know you have mental health you have physical health and you can mm -hmm. look after it um but you would you know like with physical health you would never say physical health problems or physical health you know physical Absolutely. distress or yeah you know, so so why are we using that same terminology with mental health um and why this focus on the on the deficit model? Again, you know, is that something that 
you, you come across in, in your yeah. work? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, schools are, that's what I'm saying, that schools are reactive to this because they know there is an epidemic on mental health issues. And I work in the Middle East, I work in Southeast Asia, and I can promise you the issue is the same. Mm. So it's not localized. It's not just demographic or it's just happening to, to our kids. It's a, almost, epi- I don't want to call it a pandemic, but it is. And partly because um, I think generational, I think we have become as parents as well, a little bit too snowplow parenting. We don't allow, we talk to them about failure. We talk to them about negative challenges, but we don't actually prepare them. We kind of say, let me sort it out for you. Okay. It's okay because I'm your mom and I love you. I love my son. And I tell you, is one of the hardest thing to do, to step back to let him struggle a bit. And this is why um, I agree with you, a uh, uh, traditional way and the way how we see mental, mental health, we see it definitely as a deficit. Um, and look, there's been a lot of talk about mental health prevention. Now, they, there is as much as you can talk about all these problems and talk about how to fix anxiety, how to fix depression. But how about, let's talk about flourishing. Let's talk about not necessarily the toxic positivity of life, because nobody likes that, you know, and that's why I'm weaving in my research and in my work and in training existential psychology, which is about through suffering, we discover meaning. Through suffering and trauma, sometimes we discover our strength. So there is an element that's not a negative connotation. That is actually a fact of life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's for adversity, it's, 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 it's absolutely, <laughs> you grow yeah. with yeah. and all that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But in the same time, is the way how, like you said, I'm going back to the, that uh, construct of reality. Yeah, life is tough for everyone. Show me a person, doesn't matter how rich or how powerful they are, they are having the same issues we are having, maybe diff- in different ways, but they are still issues. They still have to deal with that. So what makes a person successful and happy? It's that balance of understanding life, accepting life for what it is, but also not nothing is permanent in this world. And we see everything as a permanent thing. Kids see failure as a permanent thing. Um, anxiety is permanent. Nobody thinks anxiety is actually hey, how about I make my anxiety my friend? How about that knot in my stomach is actually excitement? Why do we see the knot in our stomach like a dreadful thing? Could we not just say, oh my God, that means whatever I'm anxious about it is good anxiety because it means something to me, you know? And we don't put this question. We don't encourage our kids to put these questions. We don't expose him to that kind of um, um, way of seeing things, not positive, but realistic. Say, hey, yeah, you know, life happens, but is the way how you recover, you know, the way how you pick yourself up and the way how you push yourself through without the burnout, you know? And I think this is why I have to say, when I say push yourself, not through the pain, but understanding that nothing is, Permanent, everything is temporary, is the way how we put the lenses. And we should all have, I think, at least a set of 10, 10 lenses, the way how we see the world around us, because it affects us professionally and um, personally and in relationships. And because we are reactive, you know, as human beings, we reactive. You know, if somebody said something negative to you, what would you do? Or would you say, oh, thanks. No, you don't. You just say, hey, why? You don't take a moment a mindful moment to say, you know what, maybe she's reacting because something happened to her. You know, why can I not just be a little bit kind to say, I'm really sorry, can we pick up the conversation later on? But no, we just react. And that adds so much pressure to ourselves that that pressure builds an anxiety and then the decisions we make, they're not the smart decisions we we should do. Mm. So yeah. It's about work, hard work, yeah. life, even on this, on flourishing, you, you can't be a spectator. You have to work at it, but you should see it as a, a, 
a growth. It's just like you said about the, the plants. You know, when you put the water, you just see them flourishing. Why not you? Why not you? Yes. And I think it, what I love about what you've just said is, is something that I see also that is not really being discussed enough. So you were talking about what makes us successful and happy as human beings together with that notion that everything is permanent. So, you know, we, I don't think as human beings, we reflect enough on the, you know, one of my practices first thing in the morning when I wake up is I, I wake up and the first thing I say to myself is, hooray, an extra day on planet Earth. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because I woke up. Some people didn't wake Think up. Exactly. And I, then I wiggle my toes and I go, and my hands and my feet are moving by themselves. So that means I can get out of bit, this bed unaided. Hooray, because that's such a, a great thing compared to so many people who can't do that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how I start my day. And I think one of the things as human beings is we take life for granted. So not only we say we see it as, as permanent, we also never question no. and people say to me oh you're so morbid but I don't think it is I think it's no. really healthy I mean you touched on something which is really powerful and that's gratitude now I'm not going to bore you how much the research how much research has been done in gratitude and how it shows the increase in, in, in well-being and flourishing but I'm just going to say that we as a society we teach our kids the wrong thing because they always want something. Now we all want something new, right? When we get it, what do we do? We move the goalpost and we want something more. But how many of us actually, we are, like you said, grateful for the little things, the little things we have, the little things your parents gave you as a child. You know, you assume that that's the norm. It's not the norm. That's not the no, and that's why gratitude, the gratitude in, and also it has to be beyond you. You know, the same line with meaning, we don't teach our kids to be less selfless, less selfish. We don't tell selflessness, you know, we need to empower them to say, okay, I feel happy today, I'm great. But how about this, the colleague next door to me, which is, you know, is not talking, nobody's talking to him or he's isolated. How about if I go and say, Hey, how is your day? You know, little gestures of gratitude, little gesture of empathy and kindness have such an impact on other people. And, you know, you almost like you have wings. And I remember my first conversation with you. I literally, uh, it's really wonderful because I felt like I was in the clouds. You know, I was walking on clouds because I was thinking, here we go. I met another person who is on the same page with me pushes the same agenda, trying to make people aware about what is happening around the world. Don't put them into a corner to say, this is the methodology we should, should look, but just look at the bigger picture. Yeah. Help yourself. Don't always, and I think this is what we do so wrong because we're always looking for crutches everywhere. Mm. Oh, my mom didn't do my lunch. Um, my mom is too busy with, with work. Well, it's life that parent who works all God's hours is to help you. Now, there is a balance. Talk, communicate, express what you feel. Because the, I spoke to parents who totally oblivious the impact they had on their kids. Mm. Their kids wanted like just 15, 20 minutes with them. That's it. And mm. they said, oh my God, I didn't think about it. Because the only thing I can concentrate is making sure that I provide for them. Sometimes that's not enough. Yeah. You need to give that attention. And, but when you talk to them, they won't like, oh my God, don't tell me how to parent. They say, oh my God, I didn't realize. You know, because parenting doesn't come with, with a book, does it? Yeah. Every child is different and our approaches have to be mindful. We have to just listen. We need to give our children opportunity to talk about how they feel, but also give them autonomy, give them a responsibility because we will not always be there. Even anything, COVID has proven that some kids have lost their parents, then what? Who's going to look after them? Think about if we put these preventative uh, approaches in schools through training, through curriculum, through whatever it is from the age of six or seven, these kids will be prepared for anything. They will say, 
wow, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to go into distress. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to miss my parents. But I know what I have to do to get out of it. Mm. You know, and like you said, some people might say it's morbid. It's not morbid. It's just actually understanding that life is a balance. It's never very happy. It's never very sad. It's, it's, it's always, that's what we do. It's a juggling plate. Yeah. But we need to know how to do it when we feel really low. And this is what we need. You see so much self-isolation with the kids at the moment, don't you? Mm. And people talk about um, in the press a lot about how COVID has impacted the mental health of young people. But how about, do you ever hear in the social media talking about the kids who have actually thrived because they had more autonomy? No. <laughs> no, of course Why not. Why don't you talk about that? But isn't that, you know, isn't that linked to also what you were saying earlier on about if somebody says something negative about you? So it's that negative bias right where we just we tend to focus one negative we'll need like three three four five three positives to, no. to compensate i agree that we need to be socially aware i i totally agree with awareness but it becomes a point where when does awareness become a prevention why do we focus and why do we in a social media we always everybody including psychologists they talk oh anxiety or depression yeah, but we kind of self-perpetuating the language. Mm. You know, there is a point where we're saying, wow, you know, let's concentrate on the things which work, the things which I've seen. I've seen children, I, I promise you, Fabian, I actually have seen more children motivated and than ever. They, feel, they miss their friends, of course they do. They found different ways. Kids, we forget how resilient kids are. Yeah. They found ways. Snapchat, FaceTime, house parties on FaceTime. I mean, my gosh, I didn't know it existed. It's not the same. But you know what they said? Look, this is a temporary situation till the COVID situation is sorted. How about we find a different way to approach this? I'm missing my friends. I can't see my friends. But how about this? And then when we meet, it's going to be awesome. Mm. You see, I've seen kids actually encouraging other kids to, to have this kind of social networking properly, um, you know, in, in a positive way to say, look, if you feel rubbish, give me a buzz. Yes. You yes. know, yeah, but yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. report this, do we? We never no. do this. No. Now, this would be a great way to build prevention, to say, to show other kids that, do you know what? Actually, it could work and it works. Yes. So what I'm hearing is that we need a shift a, a, a paradigm Maybe. shift in terms of what's being reported and I I've got friends who are journalists and they sort of say well you know good news don't sell but can we can we not shift that why not who's I, <laughs> I, I don't know I just find that strange because to me like you were sort of talking about children who who thrived um so selfishly I'll talk about my own personal experience um covid has made our family really really flourish in many ways um and you know granted we're in a position of privilege we lose none of us you know my husband didn't lose his job in fact he he found two new jobs he's starting a new job in september so you know, this thing of people don't have can't find jobs because of covid um and obviously I, I worked from home, but that also enabled me to really get to know my two boys, to really build a fantastic relationship with my teenager in particular, um, and, you know, to help my youngest sort of like boost his confidence because mm -hmm. he's, he's a less confident learner. Yeah. So for us, COVID has been really, really positive. Um, and, and I think I know loads of loads of people for whom, you know, that the, the experience has been positive. Um, and so I think that's really important that we talk more about, you know, like the, the talk in media, in the media is all about catch up. So yeah. you know, young people oh. all need to catch up because they're behind. Um, but also you were talking about the parents 
and how like the young person needs their parents to be there more and so like the impact the parents have the other thing I'd love to talk is one thing that's really close to my heart is that systemic approach Mm. I think part of the thing part of the issue currently in the in the schooling system is that everything is in silos and everything is separated and so we don't look at how the well-being or you know of a parent will affect the well-being of a child or of a teacher so you know do do you want to talk to 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 that yeah and to be honest when I started uh, working I always kind of looked because I was so passionate about the children so I thought I'll start with the children and then I realized there is no way I'm going anywhere I'm not going to create the change which I thought I'm going to change uh, create so I realized that it has to be and you're absolutely right it is in silos because sometimes you can teach certain skills in a classroom the teacher feels disjointed but then the kids go back home has no support or no understanding and he just everything you've taught is gone through the seat just gone now if you take care and you create a psychological safety for everyone and when I speak talk about school I don't talk about kids and teachers I talk about all the stakeholders I talk about teachers I talk about students I talk about governance the governors and I talk about parents they all need to be working together because if we are not on this we are on different pages we're not helping them in any form or shape everything it gets undone you know and we need to kind of build, like you said, a systematic approach to that. And it's really simple. You need, I'm going to go on a, almost on a CBT kind of circle here. You know, it's feelings, it's thoughts, it's action. But we are so speeding through everything else. And you, you mentioned something about the social media. And um, I kind of wanted to go back a little bit on that is now just Think, anyone who's listened to this, think if you were fed for a period of uh, a week, only negative information, that's it, a negative information, how would you think you'd feel by the end of the week? Rubbish. You would be depleted. Yeah. yeah. Your motivation will go down. Your self-belief will go down. Your question, you might have a thousand questions in your head, but it just kind of, it's just spinning around and you your mood will go down and you just feel like that's it what's the point what is the point of anything now turn that and say how about we've got some really interesting news really insightful news about how do you support yourself you know we saw kids being um you know motivated and they scored better now everybody's talking about all the kids have got so many great A-levels results because the teacher scored it, scored them, you know. Standardized testing, we all know it doesn't work. And I don't know why we're not adopting and moving a little bit faster because this paradigm shift, which we need to do, it's never been a better time than now. Mm. You know, we're going back to the old new. What on earth? If we go back to the status quo, we've done nothing. We learn absolutely nothing. You know, and it just proves that ultimately, when we combine the right skill set of well-being, resilience, mental toughness with academic, we know it works. We know it works. So why not bring the parents together, bring the teachers, give it's not about telling parents how to parent, it's supporting them in a way to understand. I've got a 17-year-old son and some of the stuff he's going through at the moment emotionally is like, what? I didn't go through that. Why are you feeling that way? I, I didn't have time in my time. No, but I haven't had all this pressure around me in my time. So we are a little bit disconnected even with our kids because generationally we think we, the way how we experience life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can be a little bit harsh. But sometimes we kind of, because of the experience or the suffering which we had, we tend to just mollycoddle or to just, yes. you know, and look, like I said at the beginning, it's tough. It, it just breaks your heart as a parent. But you still, it's like a child when you make them, you know, when they start walking, 
your your heart is like here, isn't it? It would be, oh, it's gonna fail. It's gonna it's gonna gonna go down. He's gonna yeah. hurt himself. But then eventually you let go, don't you? So yeah. why can we not do the yeah. same? Yeah. And, and you know, one of the analogies I often use, and I'm sure I shared it with you last time we spoke, is for me it's as a parent. Okay, so no parent wants their child to be ill, like physically ill, right? Mm-hmm. When their childhood illnesses we don't like but we know in the back of our mind that is helping build the immunity of our child right and none of us would actually rightly consider putting our child in a completely germ-free room until they're 18 open the door and go off you go darling because we know that (laughs) that would be a recipe for disaster and yet, you know, in the second book I wrote with Dominic, How to Grow a Grown-Up, we, uh, we sort of say, if we like snowplow parent or helicopter parent and we remove all the obstacles away from the path of our child, effectively we're doing the same for them. Yeah. It's it similar. But then age 18, you open the door and go, now off you go to university. And they're not able to, to cope because because they've not like as a child you know fallen grazed their knees picked themselves up started again did it again and again and again until they master the walking Absolutely. skill or the you know climbing skill or all of those things and and in the back of my mind I always think about that with my teenager I'm just like why well, I need to back off here because he needs to learn that specific skill and if I remove it then that's it. I, I removed the obstacle. He's not learned for himself. Yeah. And when you think about a transition from secondary school to a university or whatever they want to do, that's where you're going to see a huge decline on mental health problems. Partly because all of a sudden they found they crave that independence, but they're not ready. They don't have the skill. I mean, some of them, some of the kids are very, very lucky to have parents who actually are investing into that to say this is going to happen you know just build that confidence in their own ability uh, and that self-efficacy but also saying you know I'm here if you need me but then now you need to know how to survive by yourself you need to know how to eat you need to know how to cook you need to know Mm -hmm. how to make your bed you know and you if you you know I remember when I was when I went to university oh my gosh the first few weeks my room was a bomb I mean, can't tell you, because I was sharing with other five girls. We had three, I mean, it wasn't a communist time. So we had three uh, bunk beds and on one side and three bunk beds on the other side. Literally, wow. our knees, if you we were sitting opposite, our knees were met. Wow. It was quite, uh, quite extraordinary. And you put with people you've never met before. You don't know. And tough really tough Mm -hmm. you know this is where your social skills need to come in place because I you know I was quite tidy but we have two girls were just horrendous and you talk to them you try you try to change them you realize that you can't so we try role modeling and also maybe something is changing so you know you do become disheartened you do become exasperated Um, you do think you want to run away back to your mom and dad and to the safety of your own home and you realize you can't but if you haven't got the right skill set you it's going to be a disaster so I think teachers you know education educators in in high school you know they do their levels I know is very pressurized cooker for them but again it's not just career skills it's life skills prepare them for that it's nothing wrong with giving them that and to be honest the approach of the students is very like oh my god I don't do I don't want to do this in school because they're always seeing as an adult Mm, yes yes yeah but that isn't that because the schooling system is solely focused on academic attainment right If, if that shifted um and also I I I see with young people they 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 vote with their feet so they'll, they'll literally, um, if they think it's going to be of value, then they'll come and participate. If they don't think it's going to 
bring them anything. Yeah, but you think that value comes very much the way how it's delivered in the school mm -hmm. and the way how it's uh, embraced by the school. If the school finds, you know, implements it, but implement, and I've worked with schools who they literally took it as a, this is the right thing to do. This is great for Ofsted. This is good that the parents will understand that we're putting in. But it was like kids could come to the class. If they didn't, they didn't. It was very disjointed. And you knew they, of course, they're not going to engage. I mean, it was the mm. point. Mm. But if you see that this is not something which is imposed, but if you sell it like this is about you for the first time in your life, you know, maths, English and everything else is great. It's still about you, but it's a very different you. This is about how you grow how you're going to fit in a certain situation, they will buy into it. Mm. You know, I transfer my, my, my course on, um, on a platform, which I was so not dedicated to do that because I wanted that human touch that the teacher or me or whoever it was. And I had parents email me to say, oh my God, I went into my room, into my son's room and I seen doing this lesson. I was so intrigued that I stopped doing it with him. Isn't that, that amazing? That's amazing. That so cool. Yeah. Really? And I said, wow. And I made me realize how aggressive I am towards my son. And I said, what do you mean? I said, well, I would just push it, push it, push it. Didn't actually listen to him once. And then you did that lesson on active listening. And I realized, oh my God, I don't do that at work. You see, now this is how we could, this snowballing effect is so important. It's yeah. not imposed. And for the first time since the COVID, I decided to approach the schools in a very different way. So the, the, the lessons are put on a platform. And um, the beauty of it is that the kids can, they have a whole week. They can do that lesson whenever they want. It's also a lot of, um, it's called a learning circle where they have experiential things. They have open-ended question. They've got virtual reality. They've got situational judgments. They've got their feelings and thoughts which they can put down. Um, and then they have a discussion with the teacher. That's all. They discuss what they study. So we give them the autonomy. We don't force them to do it. And then you see that they all, because nobody says, well, you have to. The only thing they will say, you are required to do it. We don't care when you do it. Two o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the afternoon. Just do it. And then we discuss. And these discussions, they've been the most powerful tools because they got the knowledge from the lesson and then they reflected on it and then they share the information. Mm, yeah. You see? So it's, it's really super interesting. And I've heard you say three things that I'd like you to clarify or explain how they fit in with flourishing for our listeners who may not have picked up on those. So you talked about the importance of psycholo psychological safety for everyone. Mm -hmm. So I wonder whether you, you could clarify what you mean by that for, for our listeners. Okay. Now, psychological safety is, is kind of a quite a, a, a kind of a light, a, a newish, uh, it's not, is the terminology because we keep reinventing words, don't we, a lot as well, you know, like well-being, flourishing, then we give them a tiny difference um, of um, um, a, um, a nuance to, to make a difference between, between things. But the importance of psychological safety always been there. As far as I'm concerned, it's not something new. It's we should have. We have to have a great understanding that we can feel comfortable to talk about things. You know, it's a truly... Um, you know, when you talk about um, uh, performance, when you talk about high performance teams, or we have um, one of these, when you think about in a workplace, or I'm trying to kind of make it a kind of very easy to understand. When we are in a workplace, um, we feel very cagey at times. I don't want to do my, to say to my boss this, or I don't want to say to my colleague because that colleague will react in a certain way, or I will feel, you know, will put me down and it's it's really grating on people because if you can't talk about how you feel if you've done a, a work say homework for the kids right if if you've done it wrong instead of just getting a minus i don't know or, i don't know minus b or something like that how about 
trying to give them a voice, trying to pay what went wrong, okay? Why, what, what, what did you struggle with? Now, when you build that personal relationship with people around you, they will feel happy to share their thoughts because one of the hardest thing with the psychological safety is judgment. People feel judged. When you work in a culture of fear and ego, um, and people can't speak up when they make a mistake because they feel judged and they're scared they might lose the job, or kids, they think they look stupid. That's the first thing they will say, I don't want to speak up because I look stupid. Yeah, and, and, that's and the teenage how... years are just actually the years where they absolutely don't want to feel stupid and and stand out in, in compared to their to their peers right and so. they work on the on these words i mean i hear some teenagers say i'm retarded and i was like what why do you use these terrible words and you know this is in pub in, in private school oh I'm because everybody thinks i'm stupid now that's you know it breaks wow. my heart. Yeah. It breaks my heart in pieces because you're thinking, wow, or my, my mom said I'm stupid and I'm never going to mind to anything. I'm not going to end up doing anything in life. Now, his self-belief construct is there. That's it. So yeah. we, when I say about psychology, we as parents, everyone, we should be able to express our faith. Yes, we might be a tad judgmental at times. It's like, oh, I've told, I mean, I had a teacher who said to me, but I told him so many times. I mean, really, I've told him so many times. Now, now you, you a teacher, you tell me how that works. You know, if you tell a child, a, a young person, but I explained to you, I mean, you know, go back and do it again. That's not conducive for, 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 for him, not only for his well-being, it's not conducive for motivation, it's not conducive for knowledge, it's not conducive for anything. How about tell me what went wrong? Can we go through together? Yeah, some people are being a bit slow, some will be faster, but give people the space and the time to, to express their feelings. And also you know, just because you've told them doesn't mean that they've heard you. Of course. Oh, absolutely. Right. And kids really, because they already have that construct of belief. So they don't listen to you the first time, but you know, just chip away a little bit and give them, and I look, I know that. I educators is one of the best, the work, the best and the worst job in the world because the pressures they feel. Mm. But one thing I will say as an educator, if you're implementing anything of a source like a well-being, resilience, whatever it is of our social and emotional learning and competencies, you will change as a person. It will define and shape you as well because we think we know, but we are a bit of a in a hamster wheel, you know, we do things the way how we know, and it seems safe, it seems right. Mm. It, we very rarely pause and say, is this the right thing? Maybe not. And we feel stressed, we feel anxious, we feel all these emotions, and then we brush them under the carpet because tomorrow is a new day. That shouldn't happen. Yes. Yeah. So we need to build that, and that's what I'm saying. It's not just for the student. Everything when we talk about flourishing, it's about the community. It's about um, the, the school, it's about the home. It's about giving people opportunities as well to be a little bit less self-absorbed as well. You know, do things for other people. You know, mm -hmm. look at something beyond yourself, you know. And that's what I wanted to make, you know, when I mentioned about the conversation I had with you the first time, you know, I was walking on air because, you know, I felt grateful. I feel grateful for the conversation, for the time. I learned so much from you because we can, we can never stop learning. We never know everything. You know, people open your eyes in little corners of so many small things that you think, aha, did not know that. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. Just people need to be open and less judgmental, more, more tolerant, more inclusive. And we all unique in our ways. So yeah. we need to, you know, we need to kind of understand that uniqueness instead of making it like is something I know best. I will never know best, Fabian. Never. 
I don't think so I will ever, you know, because it's a vast world. We all different. We all see the world in a different way. And we don't, we shouldn't all see the world the same because we all bring something different. Yeah. But we should be kinder, really. I think kindness is something which we keep forgetting about it. You know, even something as simple as, you know, this conversation you and I have, you know, the kindness of you inviting me on this, you know, didn't have to, but you did because maybe something resonated with you and maybe you thought something resonates with the, with your audience. But I am grateful because my voice is heard because maybe somewhere in the audience, somebody thinking, oh, I get this. Yes. You know? And they might it might make a difference. And and I'm grateful for, for your time and for like you sharing your insights and your, your knowledge. And yeah, and you're so right. That's of openness and curiosity and kindness. And to be honest, what you're describing is the polar opposite of what's going on in schooling, because in schooling it's all about, you know, survival of the fittest. It's about, you know, I think we've got Darwinian theory completely wrong personally. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the therefore, if it's competitiveness, you know, you've got to compete with others. You can't share how you're feeling like that sort of psychological safety, feeling comfortable to share because that person in front of you is your, you're competing with them. Yeah. So, you know, and I see that in, in young people when I say to them, right, in, you're going to be when they arrive at university, one in four get a first. You get them to work in groups of four and they just look at each other. And a lot of them don't want to work with their peers because in their heads, they're like, well, I yeah. want a first. Yeah. What if you completely destroy my chances of getting a first? Yeah. So, but you see, this is where the mental toughness comes in, because it's the journey it's not the end product which is the most important thing and i think when kids think uh, they think just that the grade you know yes and the thing is that if you define by a grade and i think the society and the culture is like that you know undoubtedly but i have to say i worked for the last five years with an incredible school in, in canterbury which i tell you i oh i am grateful for having the ability to work with a school like that, who just say, you know what? I know what the government says. I listen, I do what they need to, but I'm gonna look after my kids. Mm. It's an all boys school. And the, the head um, had this vision about implementing, you know, way before the well-being came into place, something called, um, we're working on something like, um, how can we, we, we encourage kids to, problem solve anything and that came again from a good place about seeing things not permanent and temporary and always there is a solution to a problem and to see that school always the kids are very level in this all boys school and they're kind of kind of rowdy but you work on a corridor that is a, a bit of discipline there's a lot of respect more than discipline it's respect for their peers and their teachers but their relationship, they call their teachers on the on the first name. Wow. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, that's going to be a disaster. But then when it's necessary, they will say, sir. They know that little gray line between saying the first name when they meet in a corridor, but they know that in a classroom you don't refer them to, I don't know, name. John, yeah. Tom and Dick. Yeah. You know, they will just say, sir, may I please? But on a corridor, when they go to the canteen, it's always a first name basis. How about that? How do you make a group of uh, 1,500 students do that? You see, that this is nuance, the, isn't it? Like nuance, subtlety. Yes, you know, by role model, by experiential, you know, we did something called history of ideas and we asked them to say, why all, most men grow beard and women don't? You know, stupid question, isn't it? You will say, but they, they just bamboozle me with the answers, you know, because they thought outside the box. It wasn't a guideline to say, you know, you have to do an equation this way because if you show that the way, you will get low marks, which that bamboozles me as well. <laughs> May I just yeah. say, you know, <laughs> it's not giving them the students the freedom 
to learn according to their style, to their way of approach. I mean, when I show my son um, and how I do a subtraction when he was in, in, in um, primary school, he said, oh, you can't do that. You have to show me this way. And I think, I don't know your way. It makes no sense to me. Can I show you? And he said, you said your way makes much more sense to me now. Then I went to the teachers and the teachers said, well, you see, when you do the sads, that's kind of how they, but if I show you the working out, what is the problem? And they say, yeah, but it has to be that way. Yes, my way or the highway. Exactly. So you <laughs> see, this is a problem. So I wish I could fix it. I wish that, you know, whoever's in charge in the, in the, in the, in the, with the ministry, because unfortunately it's a political drive, you know, mm. I'm sorry to say that, you know, whatever Minister of Education comes in, comes with ideas, then they start flourishing four years later, five years later, another one comes in, yes. changes everything. Yes. Wow, it should never be run by a government, it should never be by a political party. This should be run by people who know what works yes. in practice, yeah. educators, yeah. you know, like in Finland, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, we, we, we look up in, in Britain, we look up to Phil, Finland a lot and go, look at how great they are. We're not going to do that, though. No, no. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to do that. It's too much. Yeah, we're not going to like, use any of their, of their insights. That would but we be... love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we love it. it. <laughs> we have, you know, with people like you and people who I know a lot in England who are really dry, driven for change in education, we will get there. Might not be in yeah. our lifetime, but there is hope. Yeah, we'll get there. I know Absolutely. we will. We'll just we would just have to come together. Yeah. So um I'm I'm conscious of the times and, <laughs> and I don't wanna you know make you late for your for your next appointment. So um be, when I ask my guests to wrap up, I um I always ask them um you know if there was one or two things that you would want people to take away from our conversation. What would it be? Be intentional in everything you do. Be mindful and be intentional. Don't treat well-being or resilience as a something we kind of just, you know, it's nice to have. We need it. We desperately need it. And you as a parent or educator, whoever you are, as a husband, wife, whatever, whoever listens to this, be mindful of the other person, how they feel. Listen. It's so important that we think we listen, but we don't. We react to a situation. So I think being mindful and intentional in our approach is very important. And also focus on not the positive side. Think always when you go to bed, think about three good things which happened in your life in that day. You know, I struggle with that. Because I always, I'm a fixer. I always used to be a fixer. I always try to fix things. So now I'm looking from a different perspective. What did I do well today? How did I, what did they make me feel? So we never take the time to look at the good things we did. You know, we're always chasing something. We're always fixing something. But you see, the only way you create that change is by reflecting on what you did well, how they made you feel, and reframe. So I think for me, that is very important, you know, mind, being mindful, not, you know, people always think that I'm talking about mindfulness. I'm not. Being present and being intentional are two things we should always, we should always have because that kind of regulates the way how we see the world and our emotion. And that's how you create flourishing, really. You should be a eucalyptus. You shouldn't be a, um, I don't know, what's the... Uh, or um, a walnut or whatever other trees out there who when the storm comes in they just break eucalyptus is always flexible be flexible be understanding you know with people around you be understanding with yourself and self-compassion another thing we don't do that well no. we have no handle on that it's all about other people but we don't now if you're not well everything else around you is going to fall apart so very important Definitely. Self-compassion, self-acceptance and resilience. Thank you so much, Gilda. Oh, an absolute pleasure, always. I could speak with you for, for days. I know, I know, I know. And I'm hoping it's going to be the, the first of many conversations. Let's hope so. And I'm sure it will come a time where, you know, we will all be on the same page, on the same platform. And that change which we 
doing at the moment, you know, however small, it will snowball eventually. So very, very grateful to you, Fabian. Thank you so much. And, and, and me to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You can also reach me via Twitter at FlourishingHE on LinkedIn or you can join our private Facebook group, Flourishing Education. All the links are easily available on anchor.fm. Thank you so much. And I hope you are flourishing. Bye for now.